Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Dan Gardoki, who is a person I have known for a very long time. And you are the leader currently of Lead with Nature. And also, you've been the director for the White Pine programs of, over in, I think it's New Hampshire, right? Maine. All good. Maine. Okay. <laughs> good. That, there's a lot of cluster of states right there in that corner. Pretty close. Yeah. 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 So I'm just really glad to have you here on this program. And also to just say that I also have known you from the bird language classes that you've done and pioneered and developed with John Young and so many other really wonderful people. So, hey, welcome to the Forest Educator. Thanks, Rick. It's uh, great to be here. I'm excited to be a part of this work that you're doing, which I think is, uh, yeah, I'm psyched to see it's well-received because I think it's really timely and really helpful for a lot of people. So I hope, hope we can continue that trend today. <laughs> that's our That's our plan, right? So Dan, we've been probably in this field, so to speak, for roughly about the same amount of time, but with, you know, different types of paths and journeys. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you can maybe just talk about, like in terms of like what you're seeing right now, like what is, and when you look at the nature field and how it's changed and everything else, is there anything that you're seeing that's standing out for you that you're like really loving or happy about? Absolutely. I think you and I both probably got into this somewhere in the 80s. Uh, yes. That's 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 the 1900s for you young folks. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Us old guys were around in the 1900s. But boy, a lot of the work that I was involved in in this kind of nature connection field or nature-based learning or outdoor yeah. ed, whatever, you know, always felt fringy for a long time, but I always felt like it was like, oh, that's nice. It's a nice little enrichment or a bonus thing, or, oh, that's just for privileged people, or that's just something that you, if you're lucky enough to go to summer camp or who knows, right? Right. And that, and that was fair, honest, you know, it was a fair and honest assessment in many ways for a long time. And what I've been loving seeing in the last, I mean, especially the last five years or so is just a much more uh, inclusive, uh, wide ranging far spreading opportunities for more and more people to have nature connection, you know, nature connection and learning uh, and all. And there, we still got a ways to go, but boy, have we come a ways in the last five years. So right. that is, I mean, volume, geography, reach, culture, class, privilege, power. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see. Uh, it's very, very uh, positive trend. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've been really impressed as well. And I know that, you know, we're, we're continuing to move forward and to a kind of expand outward in a, not in a linear fashion, but in a, you know, like kind of casting a wide net. And that's been, that's been really impressive to me. And I know there's just a, a tremendous amount of young people now uh, who are jumping in and really, you know, kind of picking up the ball and, and running with it, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of brave people. I mean, I just want to acknowledge all the people out there. All these like, you know, I would just add a, so I live, I'm, I'm right now zooming in from uh, the state of Maine, uh, traditional Wabanaki homelands here. I'm way down on the Southern coast and we have a nature-based education consortium in Maine, just, just, just a group of a ton of people who really want to figure out how do we make this stuff work and how do we spread it across all sorts of places in this state and how do we make sure it's accessible and equitable and uh, I was at our annual convening la uh, last week, which is like kind of a gathering. And number one, it was 100% outdoors, which takes some guts to do, which is awesome because you don't know what <laughs> know, the weather right? is going to be like. It was super well attended, really well supported by some great foundations. It was very supportive and nurturing to a lot of these teachers who work their butts off and are often underpaid and exhausted and also running their own families. And, you know, so they just did a great job. And at one point I was sitting at a table and we were just doing some networking and like, all right, how can we support each other, you know? And yeah. here was here was this amazing young woman who was like, yeah, I've got five of my own kids and I just started a nature based preschool and I'm on the town council. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're like a superhero. <laughs> like, right, so right. just to see like and she's like, yeah, and it's not really my this isn't my specialty, but I know it's so important that it needs to happen. And I'm going to learn and figure this out and we're going to do this. And right. it's just so inspiring to see people <laughs> just picking it up and being like, yeah, just you know what? It's going to be imperfect. It's going to be messy. And that's OK. We're just going to do it. We can't wait any longer. We've been waiting too long and we're seeing the consequences of a culture of complete nature disconnection that forgets that humans are just part of a more than human world and we live in a closed system and we have limited resources and our well-being is 
closely tied to our connection to nature. And so just the fact that that is now a reality for such a, a still small, but a much larger percentage of the population than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago is super inspiring. You know that you hit a really good point on all, every, I mean, you said a lot right there. <laughs> That's all I could say. You covered a lot and it's, it's everything is good. And I, I agree with all of it. Uh, and what I, what I find what's interesting is that, you know, like when I discovered say nature awareness, my primary educator back in the day, mentor, if you will, was Tom Brown and everything kind of like, you know, he was like the top of the mountain in a way. And then all the goodness and knowledge and, and ideas like all flowed downhill. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, oh, you know, he, he's laying out these like, like pathways to go. And then we you kind of followed what he was laying out. And one of the things that I noticed 10 years later was that, you know, he really didn't uh, talk a lot about like, how do you evaluate your programs? Or, you know, what do you do when there's a kid that's struggling and doesn't really get it? Or, or you're struggling or your staff is struggling. What do you do? And it's been really interesting and, and great to see now is that like, like what you're saying, more people are coming together and kind of crowdsourcing because we're all concerned about this long-term viability of the human race and we're all going to put in our thoughts. And, and so it's no longer really fully just like coming in from top down. And that feels really good to me. Yeah. So I think another thing, you know, for listeners like Rick and I both share a lineage in that my big first teacher was a, as a gentleman named John Young. And you can look right. up Tom or John and all the amazing things they brought to this world in their work. And like anyone else, they're just one person. So they're, yeah. of course, not going to hit work for everybody. And if it wasn't for either of them, neither of us would still be doing the work we're doing today. And so that to me is like testament. And yeah. it was a limited skill set, you know, and so as Rick and I both like invested in place and put down roots and tried to develop, you know, developed community and culture and processes around like integrating nature connection into people's lives. Yeah, I think I could. I mean, I know for me, I felt like I hit a lot of walls of like, oh, crap, what do I do here? Like, how do I handle this? Like, yeah. <laughs> Right. It's a thank God you bring other people on board and they help you, you know, or we both have very talented, capable partners in our lives who can help us too with these struggles and challenges, right? And peers and colleagues out there who can help us with this. And that wasn't necessarily role modeled per se back then, but hey, you know, whatever. Over the years, we learned, we, we learned somewhat quickly. And that's what we've been doing since, like in many ways, um, the, best, sure. the best of our ability. Yeah. Yeah, there isn't really a, you know, there's a field guide for mushrooms and there's a field guide for, you know, stars and a field guide to weather and yeah. trees and everything else. But there's no field guide to running nature programs and, you know, the types of environment, the ecology of them as well, or the development stages or anything in a way that really could help you if you're like in it. You know, you like say you're a counselor and you're like, I'm in my summer camp and what do I do? Or I'm I'm running a nature program like this woman that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, well, it's like, well, what does yeah, she do and how, who can, who can she refer to? And yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of times too, like I was taught with Tom, like that because we're like learning about nature through this, you know, native style lineage, what we're doing is special and nobody will understand. And so I had this like bar barrier of like, well, nobody else will get it. So therefore I shouldn't reach out to anybody who's just a business person because they won't get it. Right. And then when I finally did, I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. Hey, these guys are really helpful. <laughs> what have I been doing for, I've been killing myself for the last five years trying to figure it, figure it out. And here, here they are super helpful. I gotta, I, so I totally hear what you're saying about the field guide analogy and literally yeah. right before this call, I opened up an email from, let's see, this one I think is children and nature network. So if, if folks aren't already on the mailing list for the children and nature network get on yeah. it it's tremendously helpful like i just clicked on this one book it's called nature-based learning for young children anytime anywhere on any budget and it's so practical rick it even has like sample newsletters for for families like it has things about like i mean it's crazy it's a, so i would say we're getting there or we are in yeah. some ways we are there like it's awesome that um, I think about the work that was done at Antioch College in New England has done some great nature-based early childhood work. And a lot of it's based on early childhood. So we still can grow that into adolescents and just regular age kids. But right. we're, we're getting there. And there's people doing amazing work. So I just want to acknowledge that too. 
that uh, it is happening and there yes. are resources out there, which is fabulous. And that and that's another huge development in this how we do the work, right? How the work gets done and people are seeing it and people are. Yeah. And it's growing way faster than at least I could speak for myself. And um, yeah, then, then I was able to make it happen. <laughs> so I'm just sure. like, like, all right, here's all these other people making this super accessible. That's true. And, and again, like just just to be 100% clear, like I'm not criticizing Tom Brown or anybody. I'm mostly just saying that you have like all kinds of programs you created and you went, hey, let's do a tracking program and do yeah. and just try this and see what happens. Right. And then do it. And then you go, oh, wow. Hey, this seemed to work and this seemed to not work. Let's do okay. this. So we were just kind of crafting a lot of stuff totally as we went, like really I mean, winging it isn't the right word because we no. we have a lot of experience with the ways we were taught, but we were winging it to a certain degree in the sense that, you know, we were we were definitely throwing spaghetti yeah. on the wall and stuff like that, trying to see what we could do. And, yeah, and I think it's yeah. good for like newer folks to know, like, and I think some of that was very intentional by our mentors. Both of us had yes. mentors that were very hands off and really liked to see and this is something that today isn't terribly popular in some circles, like to see their students struggle, like to see their students stumble, like we're, oh, we're comfortable enough with being uncomfortable when their students flailed and made big mistakes sometimes. Yes. So that was part of their kind of like Socratic method of just asking questions, observing, asking questions, observing. It's not terribly helpful when you're feeling there's a like we're living in a time of like, you know, a cultural and a climate crisis. I get all that. Uh, yeah. but I, I do think it's important to remember that a diversity of approaches is also really valuable. And so right. while it's I'm psyched, there are super practical handbooks that for beginner people, especially is, are going to be terribly helpful, amazingly helpful. And I think it's really great to also that we have to we do have to struggle a bit and we got to figure out what's best for us. And how does it because if you know, if you or I sit here and say, here's what you need to do, like it's probably not going to work for most people. Right. So, right. you know, that being said, if you really jive with our style, like then we can go deeper with you and we can get into relationships where we help, you know, consult and mentor you and your work. But like that's not for everybody. So, um, yeah, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying there. And. And that, you know, and I remember when I first started, so for years, so basically late 90s to late 2019, 2019, I ran a, my wife and I and a friend co-founded White Pine Programs based out of Southern Maine doing nature-based learning for all ages and was a founder, co-founder and executive director for 20 years. Maybe about eight or 10 years into the process, we, we were running an alternative school that ended up mostly being for middle school age boys who didn't quite fit in the box in our local public schools. Yeah. Just so happened that's what the community that we were working with kind of needed. So we did this for like five, I don't know, four or five years. And then it just kind of faded. That group matriculated and moved on. And then we're like, wow, what are we going to do with this space? And as a business owner, too, we're like running a nonprofit, thinking about revenue streams, thinking about community. It's like ah, thinking about our passions. I, I decided, you know, I really want to focus more on some adult work. And I really want to help find ways to just get adults to slow down, to pay attention and to connect. And for me, that was often done through uh, what we're calling tracking. And Rick just did an episode on tracking. And I encourage people to listen to it. And uh, I mean, it's something it's tracking for you. And for me, it's a way of life. It's kind of the way we often see and think and process the world around us. And when I define tracking, I usually just say tracking is paying attention to the movement of energy. So right. anyone who's out there running or helping or working on a you know a nature-based learning, nature's preschool education, whatever, high school teachers trying to get their kids outside, you're doing this all the time anyway. We're all trackers. We're not special. Yeah. Rick and I are not special. We might have more depth training in areas than you, maybe, maybe not, but right. we're all trackers. That's what it takes to be alive as a social species and community and something I didn't understand in my first 10 or 20 years of doing it. But then you just start <laughs> yeah. to realize, oh, everybody's got this gift. It's just a matter of how you apply it and where you apply it. I happen to go down a path more on like wildlife tracking and track and sign and trailing. And I use it in my hunting uh, practice, you know, for food. And I use it as a way to get people almost like a moving meditation and slowing down. And yeah. some people might call forest bathing even today, very similar practices. Also for scientific research and uh, community um, science and things like that and contributory science. But tracking, I decided I want to go really spend more time on that. So we finished this community school and I convinced my board of directors at the time to allow us to start an adult 
wildlife tracking intensive, which would meet like nine weekends a year. It's like these long weekends. We were kind of going all over the region and we had different themes and, you know, and they, they said, okay, if you think you guys could do this, like, let's go for it. Sure. So it was, uh, yeah. And so I think that thing ran for 15 years, if I remember right, that we did and had some amazing in, and challenging <laughs> experiences and, yeah. uh, and, but many long-term relationships with a lot of folks and, uh, a lot of these many young and some not so young adults who really wanted to find a reason to better understand this more than human world we share. And one way to do that is by just getting to know the stories of our wild neighbors. And I did you know, to wrap this story just this past weekend or two weekends ago, it was great. I got the privilege of hosting. A, uh, one of the things I like to do at Lead With Nature is continue to support the science and art of wildlife tracking by hosting these these uh, basically certifications that are run through a group called um, Tracker Certification North America. I'm on one of their committees. I love the work they do. And so I hosted one of these or these weekends. We had an evaluator come out. We had a group of 10 people. We spent two in-depth days in the field with lots of questions. And it's basically like a two-day quiz, but with lots of great discussion and understanding about the answers to this quiz in the field, all live, all wild. It's great. And I got to see two people that I'd worked with, one especially very closely for years, score 100% and get the highest certification, which is wow. so, so awesome to see. Right? <laughs> That's it's great. just like, this is, I mean, and I was not a, probably not a big part of, but I was a part of their development, you know, and like, That's right. so yeah, of course it strokes the ego, but also just cool to watch their journey and track their mm. energy and their focus and what they're doing with it now, because they both run programs of their own and they both are sharing it with other large groups of people. So this, yeah. So I think that's just what you and I do. We just continue to try and find ways to show up, be present, support the development of things we really care about. And that's why I love the the, the focus of this podcast, right? Um, because there's a lot of people who are jumping into this and being brave and taking chances. And it's awesome to be able to have some dialogue and support. Yeah, I, I've really been impressed with the uh, tracker certification program because... I think it actually, you know, like so many times when you do like these wilderness survival skills or you do wild edible plants or whatever, it helps to have some place where there's a where you can sort of see where you measure up and that there's somebody there that's been, you know, gone a little bit ahead of you who can then verify things like, you know, just whether it's with plants or mushrooms or like animal tracks, like because half the time I remember walking out and thinking like, I could say anything to this group of people I'm with because they don't know anything. So I could just make stuff up, right? Because, (laughs) you know, and, and that it's been really interesting to see how many people have really thought, Oh, I want to study tracking. And now I have a reason to actually then test that knowledge. And then also because of that certification process, it seems like tracking is making its way into more, uh, science-based studies because there are people who are actually, it's not just sort of anybody off the street who took a two-day class, but people who are, they can distinguish between that. Right. So that's, that's a big help. Yeah. And I think it's just another great example of like, when we find ways to kind of like, yeah, measure, evaluate, right. I mean, we all know anyone who's running a school or a program or trying to get grants, like, you know, evaluation and monitoring, these things are really important. And that's what I've been loving about this one example of tracker certification North America is they take it really seriously. There's very important, there's very, very careful standards that are followed. You know, there's many levels of rigor and, um, and it's also very welcoming and accepting of all sorts of ways of learning. I also yeah. just watched recently, and I didn't watch, but uh, we have another person in the region who grew up with no, really none of no like formal training in any of this, and even not understanding a lot of the language around wildlife tracking who also scored 100. <laughs> but wow. when they gave their answers, they had to basically tell a story because they said, I don't know what, like they look at a series of one of the questions they was, here's this, here's a picture, you're looking down instead of the ground and there's some wet sand or something and there's a mess of tracks running through it. And so this evaluator mm-hmm. goes with a big stick, draws a circle around it and might say, tell me the story of those tracks. What happened in this circle or something like yeah. that? Or they might say, what is uh what gate was this animal using or what is the track pattern you see on the ground and and this person said you know i, I don't use those fancy terms but let me tell you a story right. uh, a coyote was coming up the hill pretty slow 
And then looks like maybe something got its attention. I don't know, but all of a sudden it really picked up its speed and it hauled ass out of that circle. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yep. So instead of just saying like, oh, it was an understep walk into a rotary gallop, like which is the same thing, <laughs> but it's not nearly right. as interesting a story. Uh, but exactly. it was so cool to watch. And that's, and it makes sense because that system was designed by designed by mostly known by a fellow named Louis Liebenberg, a South African Afrikaner fellow, but he developed it with other folks. And they were indigenous folks of the region who also were quote unquote illiterate, illiterate in the modern sense of the word, but they were very literate in terms of reading the landscape. Right. So it would make sense. You want to develop a system that is inclusive in that way that lets people who have other ways of knowing and other ways of learning than just the Western scientific method, right? Um, make sure that they're included and they're represented and that they are centered in many ways because it's, you know, this is earth-based teachings. <laughs> this is where, you know, yeah. these are generally cultures that have had a lot longer time closer to the earth more recently than others. So it's sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's true. And I love that story. I haven't actually taken any of those. So I'm I'm looking forward to doing some of that, especially as I, you know, get a little bit more time, which may not ever happen, but hopefully it will. Uh, let me ask you a question about, you know, thinking around your work in the bird language. Like what it, what is, what do you think is the current state of that? I know there's a lot of people teaching bird language now that are, you know, people that I know probably you're pretty familiar with is that uh, learning about this idea of understanding the, the tone or the, you know, what birds are telling us by the sound and tone, you know, all that just for people that don't know what I mean by bird language. Yeah. What do you think is happening uh, and how that's developed since, uh, yeah. since you kind of helped launch that back in the day? Yeah. Well, props to John Young, my mentor, who really him and I spent a lot of time trying to really codify and design curriculum around this idea that bird language is basically just talking with birds is that wild animals are all in communication with each other often and we also are part of that conversation should we want to tune in <laughs> and we can understand it. Birds are talking, we can understand it, and it's pretty awesome. Like that's the summary of bird language in many ways. That's something I've been excited about and sharing for a couple of decades. And in the last few years, I've been I've been often calling it like talking with birds and created a whole YouTube series called Learn a Bird, which is more focused on basic kind of bird identification by sound or what some people call birding by ear. Um, and really, it was just a COVID project where I was going crazy sitting inside. So I went out by my woodshed and just started filming. And and I and, I'm, and my thing is, I like to do lots of like, I make lots of bird calls. So it's yeah. one of my little sticks. So I got yeah. to make my bird calls, you know, and I got to yep. talk about the bird, yada, yada. And people liked it. So I was like, great. So I, I've been doing those. I just dropped my 50th episode. They're all on wow. YouTube for free, which is fun. Check them out. Uh, just lead with nature on YouTube. You know, I'm not sure where th that's at, but one thing I do know is that COVID really drew a lot of attention to birds, as many of you know. Birding yeah. has blown up. Like the idea, like bird watching, birding, whatever you want to call it, I don't really care, call it anything you like, um, has just really continued to grow in popularity. Um, it's also started to expand in its um, representation. <laughs> it's a little more diverse. It's a little more interesting than just a bunch of old rich white people in floppy hats walking around like cool places with binoculars, which is a lot of what birding's past was, right? Birding's also, the world of birds are also in a current, you know, debate because they're tied up with the name of John James Audubon, who has a bit of an interesting mixed history, including some pretty terrible language and slave ownership and other stuff. And so right, there's right. a lot of places struggling with even that name. And do they want to keep it? And uh, I think a really important conversation to have. So, um, I, yeah, so I think birding, the, the world of birds and appreciation of birds is really just representative of access to nature to me. It's like nearby nature. Because generally, the reason why I choose birds as one of my gateways into nature connection is most people really like birds. Some people are freaked out by birds. And that's fine. But uh, most yeah. people are really into them. They're usually awake when we're awake. They usually make pretty sounds we like. They're usually colorful. and We think that's cool. So we can see and we can hear them, right? We appreciate them. So generally, most people like that. Um, but I think what's happening is the world of birds and birding and bird watching is having a moment because 
people are realizing, oh, I can do this too. So you see a lot of great shows on National Geographic, cool podcasts like Young Blackbirders, you know, Blackbirders yeah. Week, Birds of Color, like indigenous birding groups. Like there's all sorts of cool stuff happening around that. So birding is having a moment in that it's finally getting a bit more representative and entry into birding is in bird watching is not as challenging as it was in many places. It still has a ways to go. Um, sure. So, yeah. So, you know, I continue to do what I do around the kind of interpreting bird language because it's awesome to learn your birds and get to know their names. But just like if any of us were in a social setting, the name is just the first thing. Like, yeah. it's nice to know. Oh, hey, uh, you know, oh, Rick. Okay. Now I know this guy's name is Rick, but then I'm going to have a conversation with you. Then I'm going to get to exactly. Know then I'm going to get that's to know right. your attitude, right? And that's yeah. the kind of stuff that's more interesting to me. So, yeah, the names are fun, but they're not even terribly important. I think we often overvalue naming in the Western scientific like world, and we often devalue the stories and the kind of kinship and connections we have with species um, sometimes. So, to me, understanding what birds are saying and how we can connect with that it's just super helpful. Like it just makes me feel like I, yeah, it reminds me, not even makes, it reminds yeah. us that we are part of, we are nature and we are in that story. We are in the conversation. That's, so that's I'm really true. I'm continuing to try and do that. I'm, I'm continuing to do that work in a variety of ways. I've got a class coming up on bird migration online. Folks can check out. I teach online class called talking with birds. I'm often doing webinars. I, I still do some traditional kind of bird watching tours uh, as well, where people can come out for a weekend, four or five days, and and d dive deep into birds. But um, yeah, I'm trying to do it in a number of ways um, so people can just uh, yeah, continue to find their own pathway and connection, and hopefully That's appreciation, right. and then advocacy. So waking up to what can we do to say support these birds and create habitats that are great for them and create policies that are going to get rid of terrible glass buildings they smash into. Anyway, there's a lot of things we can do. So that's kind of <laughs> part of the arc of that work. I know, right? It's easy to go down that rabbit hole, but it's 100%. It all starts with at least, like you said, that that initial connection. Yeah. I know for me, I'm red, green, colorblind. So when it came to studying a lot of the different elements of nature, birding was kind of like lower on my list because people would say, oh, look at that brilliant you know, r rusty art, you know, patch above their shoulder. And I, I would just see a shape, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it just looks brown to me. It looks gray. And so I kind of didn't get into it too much, but over the years I've spent so much time in nature. I really learned by flight pattern, by sound, by where it is in the tree, how it's moving. I, I do know a fair amount of birds, but I, I would never call myself that educated with it, but I like what you're saying. Because what I think you're saying is like, you're at least pointing the direction of, you know, you can actually have a relationship to birds. It's not just learning the name. Oh yeah. It's not just like, you know, having a list or like, like those uh, birding movies where they come out and everyone's like, just yeah. trying to count as many birds that they see yeah. as yeah. possible. Yeah. But, but to, but to really develop that and know, Hey, you can actually not only hear a song, but then say, hey, I wonder what's the mood going on here? Is that just a bird doing this or is it, or, you know, if you don't even know that that even exists, then you can't even ask the question. But once you, once you know it, then you can start to ask that question without even consciously realizing it, which is great. So a, here's a little gateway story for me with birds. So often with bird people, they talk about a spark bird. This just basically means a bird that kind of got them excited about learning more birds and got them into this whole bird journey, right? Yeah. But for me, and actually the story I'm gonna share is short, is that one of my one of my mentors basically she told me a story about uh, like a young teenager who was able to like sneak up and touch a deer. <laughs> right. And I was like, what? I was like, that's impossible. He's like, ah, well, this is the story. This is how it goes. I mean, in some cultures, you're this up times with some people. And I was like, what? And he just left it at that. And I was like, oh. And I just got in my head and just rattled around and just dug into my brain. I was like, I want to be able to do that. At the time, I was a very like, I, I still do love to run, but I was a crazy trail runner and cross country. So I was into running a lot. And, and in my mind, and my ego is as like a young man at like 16, I was like, I'm going to run down a deer. 
little did I know that was not the right approach. <laughs> exactly. Right. I had to learn that the hard way. I probably would be, uh, I probably have a number of violations of wildlife harassment from the county <laughs> park system in New Jersey right now if they heard this story. For months and months, I was trying to chase down deer and catch up with them, and I never could because they're really fast. Um, and I wasn't very smart about it. And I remember being a few months into this and then going talking to my mentor and being like, man, I just can't get close. Like every time I think I'm close, they just, and they take yeah. off, right? The tail's flag and they're gone. And I'm just like, oh, you know? And he was like, he's like, well, what are the birds doing? And I just was like, are you having like a, a moment? Like, what does that even mean? Like, what? that's such a <laughs> non sequitur. And I just be like, what? He's like, what are the birds saying? I was like, I don't know. He's like, you might want to listen to that and walks away. I was like, oh, I was so frustrated. And I just remember them being out later and be like, okay, I got to listen to these birds. Okay. And that was the first time I even noticed that around here in the Eastern forest in North America, we have this bird called the blue jay and the, and that the jays will sometimes do this like kind of call. And often they'll do it when deer are sneaking or humans are sneaking around. They actually like to tattle on you. I mean, jays are super funny, quirky, like manipulative, hilarious birds. People, <laughs> exactly. They often mimic other birds of prey, like they'll mimic red tail hawks and broad wing hawks, sure. scare birds from the feeder. I mean, they're just little troublemakers. They're great. And so little did I know the jays were often tattling on me or they were telling me where the deer were and I just wasn't listening. So I was running the wrong way or not, you know, taking advantage of these opportunities. And then the same thing happened with robins when I realized robins would be tattling on me if I was trying to cross a field and the deer on the other side would always take off. And and I was like, whoa, hold on. So like, to go back to what you just said five minutes ago, people can learn they can have a relationship with birds. I would just tweak that and say, people can learn they are already in a relationship with birds. Right. But they we need to like, we need to wake <laughs> up to it. I didn't know. And all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, these guys are talking about me. Birds yeah. are talking about me. Like, that's weird. Like, it, I just took a while to get used to the fact that, so how I conduct myself is going to affect how they talk about me just like anybody right. else. And that blew my mind, Rick. Like, it was just like, holy cow. And so I would say to anyone listening right now, the closest bird nesting your house or roosting near you, it knows how you conduct yourself. It watches yeah. you. It knows your behavior, right? It knows where you rush to and when you're in a slow mood or it knows whether you, you're gonna like just plow right through its area where it's trying to feed and scare it. It knows when you're in a peaceful space and you're just like, and it's giving you feedback all the time about where you're at which is just mind blowing, right? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. the birds are just a fabulous gateway. And, you know, and I'll often have people say like, yeah, but how am I going to get like little kids into birds and stuff? And I'm like, the first thing you can do, it's real simple. And this was talking about one of my former forest educator staff when I was started a forest, we started a forest preschool. I asked her these questions. I said, how do you get the kids to listen to birds? She said, oh, I just make sure I role model what I want them to do. I just do what I do. So she's walking and all of a sudden she goes, shh. Listen, she said, do that at least three times a day, maybe 10 <laughs> with the kids and really yeah. listen. Yeah. What do you hear? Because it all of a sudden it values, oh, we're not just in transmitting mode. We should be in receiving mode. We have to be listening to what's going on around us. Right. And then eventually when they have little bits of quiet time, maybe they start to draw a bird or maybe they start to write about a bird or make a song. Like, who knows? But the beginning is just stopping and listening and saying our awareness expands beyond our human bubble. Our awareness right. is going out. Right. And uh, and she was such a master at it with the kids that those kids were just so sharp in the woods. Like they were just always Earth. watching. And then that's tracking. Right. Because then you're paying attention to the movement of energy and then you're reading groups and then you develop empathy because you start to notice where there's tension and result. I mean, it's just it's a sneaky yeah. little intro, but uh, slowing down and listening to birds will rewire your brain in some interesting ways. Yeah, it's true. I I uh, 100 percent agree with that. And I know. You know, at our at our summer camp, the kids would stay. Would they would go and they'd be in their cabins, yeah. and I'd always tell them the night, the first night of camp, I would just say, "Hey, everybody, you know, just so you know, when when the cat birds wake up, you know, and start screaming and calling like three feet from your cabin, that is, I said, it's still only going to be like five in the morning, so you've got three hours till breakfast, so go back to sleep." You know, and and then sure enough, like everybody will be up at five o'clock the next morning because they all hear that bird, those birds just going crazy. And and then they would hear the cat birds. We'd be sitting by the campfire and all of a sudden they'd hear the cat birds down the trail start making a call. And I go, 
oh, here comes my cat, you know, here comes Dylan. And then everyone would go, what? What are you talking about? And I'm like, you hear the birds? And they're like, yeah, I can hear something, but how do you know it's your dog cat? And then, you know, two minutes later, he comes walking up the trail and they're just like, you know, just calling away. And then, boy, all it takes is one time like that. And then they're like listening all the time. And beautiful. it's just amazing. So yeah. it, they really are a, a very dynamic you know, like you said, a gateway or a, a yeah. for nature and for, and also pointing to the future study, like you, that there's a whole volume of stuff that you can now go into right. if you're excited about it. Yeah. And even if you're not like, it, that's sure. the best part is like, yeah, even if you're, your school, your family, your kids, whoever, your grandchildren you're with out there, like give it, it's like, conducting ourselves with a little more conscious that, yeah, we're sharing space right now exactly. with other beings. So let's just like every once in a while, slow down, stop, look and listen. Like yeah. if nothing else, like think about the antithesis to it is like, and not and I'm not trying to judge or say this is evil. Cause I do this too. I'm a trail runner and I'm, ah, we're running up mountain, like whatever. And we're yapping and laughing and making jokes and stuff. And, and that's just basically causing a huge sphere of disturbance, right? So like picture like, like ripples going out as we're running or moving right. or hiking. You're with a group hiking and everyone's bah, 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 now clanking around, uh, you know, and they stop and they're, you know, but even if just on those walks or runs or hikes or whatever, you just stop every once in a while. Like, let's just listen for a minute. Like yeah. a silent minute, it just changes the energy of a group. We often tune in just like, oh, what's that? Oh, there's a there's a big pileated woodpecker pecking right up there. I had no clue in it. But now you heard the like, tick, 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 you know? Yeah. And these things, they, they're not rocket science. I'm sure many people are already doing this out there. But it is really important to reiterate the simple things that are not hard to do around how we conduct ourselves. And they're not easy to teach either. Some kids are going to be extremely uncomfortable being still and quiet. So then we have to start to think of creative ways to do it, right? Or ways where they're sure. not being told you have to be still and quiet, but getting engaging them in super creative ways <laughs> and yeah. playful ways, right? Or just, again, back to the role modeling or just, you know, whatever. So Totally. Totally. And, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. and then if they want to go down that path of like naturalist kind of training and, you know, you want to do the deep dive on field guides and storytelling. And now there's so many amazing children's books on all sorts of different. That's the other thing is like the children's books on birds that there's birding books are insane. There's so many. <laughs> the literature in birds is crazy. It's a huge market, too. But now we're seeing books written from, from like indigenous perspectives on like birds and children and, you know, BIPOC perspectives on birds and children. And so there's just a lot. There's a lot to work with, folks. Birds yeah. are a good one. You're going to get a lot of mileage when you invest in paying attention to birds on your program. That's right. Yeah, it's so interesting thinking about, like you said, that gateway, the gateway nature experience and figuring yeah. it out. So I got to ask before we go too far. Uh, did you, how did it work out with, uh, touching the deer? The deer uh, yeah. yeah. I got a little sidetracked along. So what, what I learned eventually was that it was really up to the deer, right? <laughs> whether they were going to be touched. And so whether they're going to allow me to be close enough. Right. Right. And it, it and I, one thing I realized I needed to start going out at night, mm -hmm. uh, cause I gained, I gained some advantage at night, uh, often visual advantage. So there's stealth and I mean, there's hunting skills obviously involved in this too. I'm uh, basically hunting with my hand, right. <laughs> or a camera or something. Yeah. And eventually you had to, I had to put in enough time and have enough luck and notice enough patterns. And Grant, this was like Monmouth County, New Jersey in the 1980s. So there's a lot of deer. So yeah. folks, this might be a lot harder in other places. So I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm not trying to say it was terribly special, but it was special for me. Uh, and eventually what I did was I set myself up in this one thick field that now when I close my eyes, wow, I can pitch this crazy. It's like comes back very vividly. Uh, and I haven't been there in probably 15 or 20, probably 20 years. Holy cow. No, I brought my children there once. So maybe 12, 15 years. And it's a sloping hill to the southeast, and it goes down to this big sycamore campsite I used to have down there. But the hill has all these dry kind of forbs in the winter, like uh, old uh, milkweed stalks and old pigweed and stuff. And it was thick enough that I could hide myself in there. And the moon was coming up behind me, not in front of me. So I was kind of like shadowed, and the wind was in my face. So I was like, this is a trifecta of like stealth, like I, maybe I'll get lucky. And I was only a foot from the trail. So I could put my hand out through the debris and just leave it there. So hopefully if a deer were to come by and come close, I might be able to touch its foot as it went by. 
And uh, eventually that's what happened. Uh, wow. A doe and a yearling came by and they were feeding slowly and the doe was in front, the yearling was behind. The doe walked and she did not touch me. She happened to just go like over me, just the way her footfalls went. But when the yearling came by, I reached up a little higher and was able to just like touch the like upper part of its leg as it went by. And I think it probably thought I was a stick or something because there was lots sure. of sticks there, like a little slightly softer stick. And uh, I just like held my breath. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And they kept going. And then maybe 10 feet later, they must have smelled they me. Smelled they you. just started freaking out. Yeah. And they took off. And I felt kind of bad. But I also felt really excited. I was like, oh, my God, I finally touched a deer, you know. But really, right. it was up to the deer like to allow yeah, me to be in a space in a way. And for me to be paying attention enough um, to have that moment. And so, right. deer have been right. deer, yeah, yeah. They've been a big, important part of my journey. And I grew up, you know, in a not a hunting culture of any sort. And I was like a vegan and a vegetarian for years and years. And, but when I moved to new England and moved to like rural kind of part of Southern Maine and New Hampshire, which is relatively not that rural for other parts of the region, but anyway, a lot of people did hunt and all of a sudden I wanted to try and have protein again. And I was like, I think I might try this hunting thing. And so that's a whole nother story, but so deer continue to be part of my journey and I'm continuing to be learning from deer and being humbled by deer and being fed by deer. In fact, we had some last night. There you go. Yeah. That's right. I know that, you know, what's, it's so interesting. I, I have a similar story that I got Tom Brown mentioned that in like one of his books, I think. And then I remember, I remember looking out at the place I was staying and I just was like, yeah, how would I possibly do that? And I remember looking out my window and it was like, uh, I don't know, like it was summertime. It was around eight o'clock or eight o'clock, eight thirty at night. So it was starting to get dark. Yeah. And all of a sudden I look out and I can see this field and I can just see deer popping out one by one out of this big hedgerow of blackberries. Wow. And I just was like, Hey, there's a lot of deer and they're all popping out at the same spot. And I went, you know, I think I could figure this out. And so I went there and tried it. And and the first time I tried it, the wind was blowing the wrong direction and they smelled me like, you know, made their alarm and got out of there. But then, and then I tried it again the next night when the wind was blowing, but they were like, yeah, we're not having any of that. But then I wait, I waited about two weeks and then I got back there. Wind was going in the right direction. And I just had my hand stuck into those, I think it was a uh, multi-floor roses. So I got all scratched up. It was so painful, but I did, I did have the, you know, like a, a brush against the rib cage oh, over here. And I was just like, this is awesome. But boy, I got eaten alive by, by mosquitoes too. So I was just like, I, <laughs> I probably yeah. should have gone to the hospital. I had so many mosquito bites, but it was awesome to yeah. to do it. Like it is possible. And yeah, yeah it's oh, pretty exciting. That's so cool. I had no idea. We both had those stories. That's perfect. That's, that's yeah. awesome. That is great. Uh, and yeah. It, it's it's so interesting to think about like how we both got so damn inspired to put ourselves through like this, like self-imposed torture to have this moment, right? Like sure. that, that's probably like fodder for a whole nother podcast on like, on like, you know, the magic of mentoring and like inspiration and like knowing your student and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah. Wow. Sure. Yeah. There's a, there is an element I think of delayed gratification and uh, I mean, it wasn't from, I don't necessarily think it was ego for me to do it just cause I was, a, it was more of a challenge rather than like an ego thing. Sure. But I also knew that I wanted to be able to go back to like another class with Tom Brown and to be able to say, Hey, I did that. Although guess what? Nobody ever asks you, hey, did you ever get to touch a deer? Like, there's no place to actually it doesn't come up. up in like cocktail party conversation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't get well, a t shirt or a bumper sticker or a patch or something. So it was just one of those yeah. things where you're like, hey, I have this like street cred in my head. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. It was funny. It's funny. But yeah, it's interesting, like thinking about students now and and the fact that like, for me growing up, I had like all these like mountain man stories and Native American folk tales and stories and yeah. and just a tremendous, you know, dances with wolves was a big thing. And like anything Native American, I was just like I would eat up yeah. and anything that led me to kind of have point me to a closer relationship to nature. I was like totally there for. And now I, I'm not 100 percent sure where, you know, culturally we are. Although we do have like National Geographic or, you know, Animal Planet, all these other things. So the the interest in animals is like really high, but the kind of human animal connection or that it's 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 just different now 
it's not, you know, some of the things that used to work 20 years ago doesn't work now to for inspiration. Like I, I'll tell tell a story and that you'll just get like crickets and people just staring at you unblinking and you're like, okay, I don't think this is working, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think probably to some degree and like this goes back to when you're talking about like the field guide. I just want right. to put a plug in for uh Coyote's Guide to Nature Connection. Yes. Which uh I did I did do a chapter in chapter eight, the book of nature. There's a whole section in there where we talk a lot about like motivational kind of stuff. Like we talk about like catchable critters and like all the little things like and actually another book just came out and it's actually by the folks who do um that guy, Steven Ranella, who's like, uh, does like the meat eater podcast and show. But anyway, I think it's called like catch a flyer fly and catch a, I don't know, something. It's like, yeah. it's all about fun, cool kids, outdoor stuff. Right. But more like rugged, like get into a little bit of trouble, kind of fun outdoor stuff where yeah. kids had a longer leash and they weren't like, you know, no helicopter parenting. And I think like kids still want that. Like a lot of kids, or they yeah. might not, I, I believe they do. And many in my experience, is when you create a space where they know like, oh, I can actually do this stuff. I can get wicked dirty. We can have like a mud battle or like we can, you know, create these cool shelters and sleep in them or make snow forts. Like, you know, yeah. most, most kids, when you let go of some of the social kind of expectations and stuff like, and they can just be kids again, often want to have, you know, we just had my niece out for a week. It was like nine and and she was at a really cool, fun nature connection day camp all week. And but afterwards, she'd want to go to the beach and just like screw around, be bury me in the sand. And like, you're like, let's sure, go catch sure. those little, let's catch, let's catch hermit crabs, right? Like, right. So I think a lot of kids, it, it's still there. I think it's my observation has been it's the adults. Yeah. That there's often fewer of us who are willing to like allow them to do it or to kind yeah. of be with them as they're doing it or to even like sometimes like, role model and do it with them. And a different kid, it's different. Some places it's better for adults to stand back. Other places, the kids need a little encouragement and they need to see it's okay to touch this thing, right? And if they see mom, dad, uncle, cousin, auntie, grandma, whatever, they, they, then they can be like, oh, cool, I can do that. Um, right. But I, yeah, so I don't know. I, I might say, I think it might be a little more like like adults in the culture. And, and, right, and yeah, that might be true. Um, yeah, and just it's harder for us, for, you know, you yeah. and I are, you and I are like, well, relatively, you know, we've got a gray in our beards, both of us. So we don't know jack about what inspires kids in many ways today. And we know our own little bubbles, <laughs> but that's right. There's, there's so much more that, you know, like in this whole connected world, the internet and like, you know, um, it's just fascinating. It's yeah. Fascinating. But I still yeah. think deep down there, you know, evolutionarily, they're still little wild hunter gatherers. They still mm -hmm. are like we all, I mean, we are a species that that's what we've been doing for the vast majority of our existence. And we're just dressed up fancy, but we are still at the core wild and connected. Like, and if we allow ourselves and create a space where people can do that, many people are still going to do it and be pretty stoked about it. And it's going to enrich our lives. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I really have been impressed with the, forest school uh, movement, because I really like the system that they're doing. And the fact that they are really working with those very young children. Yeah. So like, because they're doing that, and they're doing it in a very specific way. And there's a lot of inquiry based or student led yeah. thing. It's not it's not really an exploration in the way that like, like when I learned with Tom Brown, it was like, he's teaching me and I'm absorbing. And this is like a whole different element that they're giving those children. Great point. And I, I believe that they're, those graduates of those programs are, are then going to have a completely different experience as they go into middle school and, and beyond. So I really, uh, you know, it, it, we didn't have the luxury of having students come through all that in, in most cases, right. You know, initially yeah. because nope. it was still new, but now it's really growing and taking off in a lot of places. So mm -hmm. it's really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you, what are some things that you're doing currently, uh, as far as, you know, working with adults and mentoring? Yeah. So, you know, my company lead with nature, I just, you know, I always say consulting, training, guiding, those are the three things I mostly do. So, yeah. um, and really one of what they have in common is just doing my best to like support. Like I really am just, I feel like I'm on a life stage now where like 
put in a few decades into this stuff, you know, <laughs> over three, because you're my early years of, of floundering and figuring things out and running cross-country tours when I was too young to even drive the vans and all sorts of other stuff. But uh, I feel like, and I love, and the feedback I've received from my is that it's just so nice to have someone else who's done a lot of the things or some of the things you're trying to do has been down the road a little bit ahead of you to just start to ask you questions and start to get you to slow down and reflect and start to get you to prioritize in different ways or give you a little bit of pushback, hold you accountable to your goals. Like, and I love that work. Like that mm. work is just super fun for me. It also feels really serious because I mean, I get people who are like, I'm thinking of just throwing in the towel and I'm like, okay, well, let's here, here's, here's a template I'm going to come up with for you. That's customized to your experience. Let's go through all this. Let's clarify some of this. Let's talk about what's going on behind the scenes. Let's figure out what else we can do. What does it look like if you do this, you know, um, and helping right. people kind of make some big decisions. And some, it's just more like daily, like, oh my God, where am I? I'm like buried in this, this world I created, which I just started because I love taking kids in the woods. And now I've got HR and I've got payroll and I've got finances and I've, or I know we're a board and I owe taxes and blah, blah, blah. So sometimes it's quote unquote, like boring administrative things, but I like helping people make sense of that. Even if making sense of it is like, okay, what needs to get done? Are you the right person to do it? If not, let's find you someone to do it for you. <laughs> like, right, like, right. like whatever it is, because we, I want to support the vision of this work. I want to see more and more successful experiences of human beings remembering they are nature and that they are embedded in nature and that we are part of it and we need to take care of it. And if we're going to have much of a future here. So yeah. that's how I've been showing up a lot through consulting services. I do it with nonprofit leaders, mostly nature-based learning groups. I do it with small business entrepreneurs, you know, people just starting for uh, schools and other things. Mm -hmm. I also come in and do trainings and support, whether it's virtually or in person, uh, maybe just like a staff, uh, a day where the staff, imagine this, gets a little break or on a professional development kind of day or break, or I come in for a few hours and lead some sort of a retreat or help them with some curriculum design or just let them be kids and play for a day and I'm facilitating or you know, so that's, you know, that's some of the stuff I do with staffs uh, and groups and leadership teams. And occasionally I just do it for individuals. Some yeah. people want more structure and support around their own nature connection journey. So I've had a handful of clients who are just like, can you just help me stay on top of this and, and be like, ask me good questions about birds and forests and trees and ecology. And like, it helped me with some practices that encourage me to really grow deeper strands and connections around me. And so I'll do that. Uh, yeah. So those are some of the kind of consulting coaching things I'm doing. Yeah. Right now, and I'm and I'm looking to do more. I'm looking to grow that part of the business. I really enjoy it, and I like to have the you know longer term relationships doing that. And I do a ton of work uh, doing kind of more programs, educational programs, both online and in person, and through a lot of my guiding work. So I do a lot of custom guiding for groups, families, maybe people on vacation or for special events, or occasionally as part of uh, you know maybe a big business team or something. And those are usually more one-off. Sometimes they're annual, but they're still great. It just doesn't feel like sure. as much nice long-term relationship development. But I do a lot of those too. So that's good. That's been fun. Like this summer, I had a family who was visiting. We're like, we really want to better understand how to like gather food from the sea. And I was like, okay. So we did an intertidal coastal foraging, which basically means picture like the rocky shore of Maine and all the seaweeds and plants that are there that you can potentially eat and learn how to identify them and dry them and give them some recipes and sample and taste some things. And and it's a fun way to have connection, man. When you start bringing in food and yeah, people love it. And so everybody loves that. Women around tide pools and we're learning how to safely, you know, sustainably harvest, you know, kombu, like kelps and nori or lava, like all this kind of seaweed. It was awesome. Like tasting all these things, drying them on rocks. Like, so it could be that. Um, it could be, <laughs> That's it could be awesome. nerding out on birds and it could be a wildlife tracking intent. It could be all sorts of things. So I do yeah. a lot of, uh, and, you know, and running your own and I, cause I am running my own small business too. And I need to sure. have diverse revenue streams to make sure it works. I've got, you know, two kids, pretty much college age. <laughs> like I've got know, bills right? to pay and <laughs> I have different. a vision and I'm trying to make it all work and make it all fit together. So yeah. That's yeah. some of the things I'm up to right now. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Wow, what a what a handful. It's yeah, it's so interesting, you know, to do in a way like you're you're looking at that whole ecosystem of where can I best fit in, what niche, and then from all of these, you'll probably narrow it down in the next couple of years to, you know, the the two things or three things that really 
drive you maybe but but what a great uh what a great experience to have for families or you know for somebody who's just working you know like i mean i i know me i could have used your help if if you were doing this work yeah. 10, 15 years ago i would have been like hey i'm calling dad because it is really there are times where you just have a question about something and it's nice to know someone's also have has done some of that and is willing to support you through that process and i've noticed i think a lot at least i'm hoping this is the trend but i feel like a lot of the newer folks and i think partially because so many of them are new and there's so many of them they're actually better at networking and and creating you know collaborative kind of resources and study groups or peer groups which is great than we were like right. in our generation there's a lot more lone wolf kind of like silly waste of time kind of stuff going on so it's just really nice sure. that, um, that people are doing that and it's also nice to develop sometimes develop a relationship with you know you know one or two people who can really help you and stick with you i mean some of my clients i've been with now for a couple of years and yeah. i might be only meeting with them every other month or some every other week but like we have long long history of like watching them go up and down and things they've been going through and helping them you know follow through on certain deliverables and products and processes and you know books or whatever you know um right is awesome right and then others are just coming to me for a month or two to help get through a more challenging time maybe they just lost a couple of core staff they're kind of freaking out about how to they're going to run this program and run this summer camp and pay these bills or whatever and so yeah, I'm, exactly. coming, I'm coming in to just filling a little gap for them and then be like i'm here if you need me <laughs> after this yeah. so i mean yeah. because it happens we're all gonna have we're all gonna have some struggles man we're all gonna be suffering at some point in this work and you know it, and it's also can be a tendency in the field to kind of have a bit of a scarcity mindset and to feel like, Oh, I don't want to take, you know, we only have so much money. I don't want to spend it on, you know, on me. Right. And which is kind of ironic because as, as you know, the founders or leaders or directors of these schools, like your well being and your know-how and knowledge and practice and follow through and conduct are as important as anything. And yeah, sometimes it takes, it takes a bit of kind of rethinking and retraining the brain to say, actually, yeah, working with a consultant is actually really valuable because it pays us back in space. It's just like you know, in many ways over time. Yeah, so true, uh, true. What's interesting to me is that when 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 you and I, I think we're we're coming up through the ranks with uh, you know starting our own programs and everything, is that for for a lot of the young people that were also starting programs. It feels like, and this may be a story I'm just making up, but it feels like the majority of us were coming from, uh, I don't want to say working class background, but in a way, but kind of a blue collar yeah. um, type of program. So I know like for me that I, you know, undercharged for some of my programs because I came from a background where, you know, single parent, blah, 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 single mom, all that sort of thing. And then at the same time, you know, there is that feeling of, oh, you got to do everything by pulling yourself up from your bootstraps. And if you go to a bank, they're going to say no. Or so, you know, you in a way, like there's a lot of things that you tell these stories that, yeah. you know, that are embedded in your mind that aren't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And and then all of a sudden, you know, it's a it's a barrier that's in your mind that then becomes an actual real life barrier. And that is one of the real advantages, I think, to getting a consultant or getting somebody to kind of help you because you know some of the things that we believe are just stories that aren't true so guilty as charged <laughs> yeah I, I mean and i've made it i oh, mean no. we, could, we could we could have a whole podcast just going into things yeah. that we did that we went oh i never even knew but i but i think what's nice about a lot of this is being able to get these like larger full-scale perspective or uh, hawk's eye view if you will to be able to say like okay yeah you know, if you're working with children, like there's so many kids out there, you know? And so sometimes when you're doing your program, you're like, I don't know, you know, my Instagram isn't like going off the hook and people aren't signing up or whatever. And sometimes you just have to go right to the source and just go like, all right, I'm going to go to the school and talk to these teachers. Like you sometimes have to actually take action. You can't just passively like post something on Facebook or or whatever. And so it's it's really it's a changing world and and everything else but there's just a lot of ways to work around these problems and then get to the other side of it because honestly the world's really never needed this type of work more than than you know we it does right now so right yeah, yeah well said 
And I think, you know, it's like when I think about, I try and one of the things I try and do with clients a lot is think about like the ecology of their of their work, right? And think mm -hmm. about the ecology of their vision and and then their maybe their business or nonprofit and, and start to look at the different inputs and outputs. And um, I think what you're speaking to is that they're, you know, when we think about ecology, I mean, the Greek root of the word is, you know, the study of home, like e mm -hmm. ecology. And so what we learned, what our homes demonstrate, especially we've been living in places for a while, whether it's like a bobcat den that's been used intermittently for geez, around here, probably 8,000 years in my neighborhood, the <laughs> same dens have probably been used on and off, or, you know, a little yeah. apartment in, you know, the, the south side of town or whatever it is is there's wisdom in those places. Like there's experience, there's lived experience about what works and what doesn't work, but it's stuck, it sticks, right? Yeah. So like even just having those walls in that neighborhood and that entrance and knowing where it's safe and where is it, you know, where's the sun moving along in the sky for the bobcat and that, you know, and where are predators likely to come from? There's wisdom in that location. And so when I think about a lot of small businesses and in the forest schools and that we're often just so busy fighting fires and dealing with this quadrant one urgent, you know, important stuff. We don't have, we're not making the time to pause and to really reflect and to really start to integrate and build our own wisdom into these things because they're new yes. and you have to slow, you got to start somewhere. And I'm not saying I'm Mr. Purveyor of wisdom, but my job is to just get people to like slow down, to ask a good reflective question, to start to think about how to start to, you know, start to do those things that are next level, right? That are gonna really build capacity over the long run, that are gonna really build a, a culture of sustainability amongst your staff team, that are gonna really build parent buy-in over time, right? That things that are gonna yeah. make you last a lot longer, right? And you know this, you've been doing this for so long and you do it now in many ways intuitively. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. For a lot of people, when you're newer, you just, you, you know, you're like, I just love playing with kids in the woods is like the thing I hear so often. I'm like, that's amazing. And that's a really important core part of who you need to be, but that's just one strand in the ecology. There's many right. other connections that we need to tend to if this is going to be more than a flash in the pan. So right, right. Yeah. Just having somebody to help even map those things out and look at those things and tend to them or come up with a plan for tending to them, even if it's not just you, even if it's someone else who's doing it, um, will often result in, you know, a more successful, longer running, uh, you know, or execution of your vision. Yeah, that's true. I, and oftentimes I've told people in, you know, my own kind of training work and stuff. I've told people like, you know, if you really don't like to do the marketing, the administrative, the, you know, all the detail stuff, that's okay. Just go find another, an organization that needs someone with your skills yeah. and then let them handle the other stuff. Like you can still find your niche. You just, it just might not be the niche that where you're, you know, you might have to move. You might have to find a way to you know surely showcase your stuff because not everybody's cut out to be that entrepreneurial oh, no. person and no. it's it's hard it's it really is well hey i, I know i've been uh we've been <laughs> eating up a lot of time here but i just want to say that this has been fantastic to have this conversation and i'd love to maybe check in with you maybe after hunting season or something like that you might have some good stories about that aspect of nature nature education as well yeah so how do people get a hold of you? What's the best, uh, yeah. what are some best links? And yeah, so leadwithnature.com is my website. You'll find me on Instagram, Facebook. Those are the best ways to see what I'm up to. Mm -hmm. You can get on my mailing list, and then you'll get everything I'm up to. And you can find me on my YouTube channel. It's also Lead With Nature, and there's lots of great free stuff there. Yeah, and yeah. I just pop up here and there in a variety of places. But yeah, and if anything today really resonated with you and you want to just explore a little further, you can just email me, dan at leadwithnature.com and uh, tell me what's up. We can take it That's, from there. That sounds great. I know we'll have all your links in our show notes. Thanks so much for just being willing to come in here. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's really makes me excited and happy to chat with you because I never know. I never know what bird song you're going to come up with or whatever <laughs> you just have like yeah. so many stories right so oh, can i can i lend with one little short one yeah the last night last so it is they were recording this in late august or mid late august yeah and this is when august tends to be kind of a slow month for a lot of bird action in some ways but if you live near the coast you get a lot of shorebird migration happening because shorebird migration happens like all summer and into the fall but the nighthawks are migrating now. And nighthawks are basically, great. picture this combination of like bat and bird that migrates at night. They're freaky cool looking. You should go Google common nighthawk. You might get a bunch of motorcycles, but the bird's really cool too. 
And so they're starting to move through and they do this crazy little like kind of call oh, yeah. down on the Pine Barrens in New Jersey, where Rick and I also have some shared experiences, uh, not at the same place in time, but in the same place at different times. Um, I remember the first time I, one of the first times I was camping out on my own, I was on this beautiful peninsula in this little spot called Double Trouble, near Double Trouble State Park and the Lacey Tract of the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Probably illegally, but anyway, I was down there camping, and uh, and I'm on this little peninsula, and I was about to get a fire going. And I just heard this like bzz, bzz, up in the sky, and I was like, "Well, those are kind of cool." And I was like pretty young, and I heard stories of the Jersey Devil, which is this local legend that everyone talks about, and you don't know if it's real or not, especially when you're a teenager. And then all of a sudden, I, it got quiet, really quiet, and I just heard this like, <laughs> and I was like, "What the <laughs> heck is that?" And then it was nothing for a long time. And then, yeah, I was like, I, I didn't know what that thing was. I swear, Rick, for years. And I went to bed that night, like holding on, I think, to a stick and a knife or something. I don't know. I was just like, Ugh. like I thought I was probably going to die. And then eventually, way down the road, I learned about what's called booming when nighthawks do this crazy aerial display thing where they uh, they're with their feathers. And I, I, you should check it. It's just if you just Google like common nighthawks booming sound, it is the weirdest sound ever. Right. Last night I went and sat out. They usually do this in the spring, by the way, not in the fall or late summer. But last night I got to see my first night hawks. I set up a scope in this little field. I invited a friend to come down, a little chunk of land down the road. And we waited and waited. And as the sun was setting, we saw these beautiful bucks come out, a little bachelor group. There was five bucks in the field, wow. all six or eight pointers, which was so cool to watch through the scope. Like it was so awesome. And then we started to notice swallows and cedar wax wings, you know, really high-pitched buzzy yep. call and then eventually i was like what's that and so it was a little floppy funny flight going through the air and i was like it's a nighthawk and i could see the little white marks on the wing and got a few yeah. pictures of them uh, and i was just so psyched then it just took me back to that and i think it speaks to the what we spoke on earlier is these little gateway moments of like connecting to places and i'll never forget that place and mostly because I was scared that night, but also because I got to hear the night yeah. hawks. Like the night hawks taught me a lot that night, even by not knowing what I was doing. They also taught me to like sometimes you're just going to be scared and you're not going to know what's <laughs> going to happen. You just got to deal with it. And I did, and it wasn't all that terrible. So uh, yeah, yeah. Shout out to That's all the migrating cool. night hawks right now. May they have safe journeys. They mostly are moving. If you live anywhere near a river or a coast, last hour or two before sunset, they're coming out in the next three to four weeks. And they're just kind of look like big weird bats up there and they're catching insects before they fly all night. So go take a peek. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the, I think the Pine Barrens is a place where I've, if I think back to all the times I've been scared in nature, the Pine Barrens <laughs> is probably like 85% of the time, <laughs> just, just from all the stories and then just being out there in all times of the day and night. But yeah, amazing right. stuff. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Rick, for doing this and for creating this space and um, for everyone who's been supporting it and showing up and giving it good ratings because you love it. And uh, yeah, I hope we continue to have a lot of success and really support a lot of people helping us. Uh, yeah, just kind of find our way back on this path of uh, being part of this more than human world in a positive way. Thanks. Thank you so much. And uh, and it's voices like yours that actually really helps this to grow, too, because, I, you know, we I think we need more more voices voices being amplified that need to get some exposure so anything we can do we're going to awesome. get there all right Alrighty. thanks okay. a lot cheers thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature you can get access to the bonus episodes my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.